0: The Golf and Filtered podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Cog Hill Golf and Country Club. I am so excited to partner with them once again in 2022 because they've got a lot of great stuff going on, including an entirely redesigned and renovated driving range and practice area. It's got top tracer. It's got, what, like 42 heated bays, individually heated, by the way. And it's even got a food truck and much, much more. Such as two bars. Yeah, that's right. Go out to Coghillgolf.com today to learn a little bit more. And of course, you already know about all their great golf courses, Coghillgolf.com. We're also pleased to continue to work with our friends at WorldwideGolfShops.com. You've heard me talk about them many times before. They've got everything you need for golf. They've got apparel, accessories, training aids, all the new equipment. They've got deals like every single day. And going out to WorldwideGolfShops.com might just help you improve your game this golf season. WorldwideGolfShops.com. Welcome to the Golf Unfiltered podcast, your source for all things golf, including in-depth interviews, new equipment highlights, and answers to golf questions you might be too afraid to ask. My goal? To help you learn more about the game so you can enjoy it even more. Let's dive in. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. This is your buddy Adam, as always, from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can find me on social media at GolfUnfiltered. Send me an email, adam at golfunfiltered.com. I hope everyone enjoyed uh, the 150th Open Championship or the British Open, depending on how you like to refer to it. Cam Smith, of course, coming out victorious in a very exciting final round where Rory McIlroy unfortunately let this one slip away, and I think that's going to be what is remembered most about the 150th uh, running of the Open Championship at St. Andrews. But it was still fun to watch, and I made a joke on Twitter at Golf Unfiltered that it feels like Cam Smith should have four majors by now. I mean, this guy obviously is insanely talented, and he, his putter just was incredible, especially on Sunday. He uh, may be the best putter in the world right now, and I'm not sure how this guy isn't going to win more majors moving forward. So kudos to him. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of talk coming up in the next few days about whether or not he goes to live golf. I'm hearing that that is already a done deal. And I think as time continues to go on, more players are going to make the jump. And we're just going to have to decide to be okay with it. And um, that's just professional golf these days. So uh, hopefully the majors themselves won't be tainted in any way moving forward with all of this drama off the golf course, or I guess you could say on the golf course with the competing tours, because what we saw at St. Andrews was just great, great tournament golf. And I think that's all we can ask for and hope for, right? Well, this week, I want to get back on track with my rereading of Ben Hogan's Five Lessons. You may have heard the first episode I did a couple weeks ago, where I talked all about Ben Hogan's thoughts on the golf grip a topic that he spent a significant percentage of the overall small, thin book uh, on the grip. His second lesson is what we're talking about today, and uh, it's a part of the golf swing that is often overlooked. I know I said something similar about the grip, but stance and posture are something that definitely most players learn early on the right way to stand the best way to address a golf ball for example and then over the course of years at least in my experience it kind of starts to get a little bit messy and so when i whenever i reread ben hogan's five lessons i mentioned i do it once a year i always am reminded of some unique tips that hogan has within these pages regarding stance and posture that any golfer regardless of skill level, uh, how long you've been playing the game, could benefit from. Now, Hogan spends, again, a pretty considerable amount of time talking about stance and posture. He goes into some pretty fine detail within the five lessons. And had it not been for the illustrations that accompany the book, it would be pretty hard to put two and two together, especially after your first reading of what Hogan says. And he spends 23 pages on this topic, on the second lesson of stance and posture, Again, pretty good chunk of time. Now, when I first learned some of the things that Hogan mentions in his book regarding how to address a golf ball, I was coming off of a baseball kick. I played for a number of years in my childhood, definitely played before I took up golf, and I remember thinking how similar in so many ways The golf stance and posture preferences, I guess you could say, or or recommendations rather, they're very similar to that of a batting stance or even just that of a fielder, maybe fielding a ground ball. I always remember being told that you want to have this athletic stance in any sport that you play, even golf, despite the fact that that ball isn't moving. You're not really reacting to the golf ball. What I find interesting about Hogan's explanation on how to properly stand in terms of posture, it's the combination of the closeness of his forearms, which I'll go into a little bit more detail, as well as how he positions his feet. We've seen, uh, if we start with the feet, we've seen all of golf's greats do something similar to what Hogan teaches, and that's probably no mistake, I'm sure, Many golf instructors, coaches in later years modeled what they taught after Hogan. Now, for a right-handed golfer, the fact that Hogan turns his left foot out a little bit towards the target was a lesson that I remember being taught many times when I was learning the game and also thinking, wow, this is kind of weird. It almost puts you in this, again, athletic posture where I thought I was almost getting ready to run, if you can visualize that. And I always am reminded when I reread this book that that's kind of the point. You want to get your body moving and your hips to clear a little bit more towards the target. And Hogan had a hard time doing that, especially after his accident. And so he goes into much detail about the importance of just flaring that left foot out, the lead foot, a little bit while maintaining a square trail foot in this case for a right-handed golfer, the right leg. What Hogan later goes into much detail about is how this position of the feet is so crucial for the first part of the golf swing and in essence, the takeaway and then up to the top of the swing. Primarily how the body should rotate around the pivot point along or around that right foot. But you should never sway over that right foot. And I remember this being a really difficult lesson for me to grasp as I was learning the game. Because you think about how can you move your body to generate any sort of momentum to drive that golf ball. And I've just seen so many people who are picking up the game do that, where they they sway. And it's almost counterintuitive to hear... Or, you know, if you go on YouTube, for example, and you listen and you, and you watch swing videos, they're always saying that you want to, you know, move weight throughout the golf swing at least a little bit. And I just remember thinking, well, how am I going to, you know, move the weight in my stance to another foot if I can't sway a little bit? Well, as Hogan mentions in his book, it's more of a rotational redistribution of weight than it is lateral, if you can picture that. And this little move was so important to Hogan that he actually had uh, his golf spikes specially made with an extra spike right there under his right big toe or thereabouts or maybe even the ball of his right foot because that was something and he mentions this in the book that was something that he a cue that he was able to always feel under his feet so that he could turn his body around that pivot point repeatedly it's every single time it's the same thing another just quick side tangent here something that i always pick up on when i read this book is that these little these little tricks that hogan did for himself whether it be what i just described with the golf spike and there were a few other things regarding the grip and then later on with the golf swing that it almost allows for some fluidity with the golf swing in my opinion meaning it's not so mechanical that you can't have any excessive movement or little cues like that. You know, I I don't know why I always got that stuck in my head where I had to just do things so similar every single time I I took the club back and I had to do it quote unquote by the book, which is the irony here. We're talking about a book. Now, when I incorporate at least the the feet of the stance and posture um, into my game, I definitely brace that right foot, keep it square. I flare that left foot out just a little bit. And that allows me to really help. That allows me to get my, my body to rotate through the ball a little bit more uh, at impact. And Hogan for a long time hit a draw. And prior to his accident, um, he obviously had a lot of success with that. And then after his accident, where he was a little bit more limited in mobility, he was hooking the ball too much. And so we wanted to essentially eliminate the left side of the golf course. And you've probably all heard this before if you've studied anything about Hogan. And he would go out and he would just basically retrain himself post-accident to hit a fade. And one of the things that he found, or at least one of the things he attributed his success in doing that to, was his feet position and the fact that he was almost slightly open at address. Now, one of the best golf uh, instructors that I've ever had growing up, when I was, when I was a child, um, taught me everything I just mentioned, flare the foot out, but almost to flare that left foot and drop it back a little so that I was open at address. Now, that may have been in an effort to help me. You know, I was, you know, kind of a short kid and I wanted to be able to get, you know, a full standard length driver, you know, through and maybe that was allowing me a little bit more time to do that. But it really helped, and I remember hitting a fade for a very long time growing up. Of course, most of the time it was a slice, but uh, when I was able to get a little bit better and I honed that a little bit, the fade was something that I just I, I embraced. Now, over the course of many years, and I've actually broken my right arm twice so that I can't actually uh, pronate it all the way. Meaning, it's if you, if you were to hold your arms out, with your palms facing the sky and you were to put them together, my right arm cannot do that. My thumb is actually facing the sky. So I mentioned that because I've had to find different ways to move the golf club as it relates to even setting up my, my posture so that I could play the game. And my fate is all but disappeared. Unfortunately, I wish I could play it again, but I, I draw the ball now and I often find myself running into situations that Hogan describes in his book about his bad miss. You know, I fight a hook all the time. When I want to fix that, when I want to dial that back a little bit, and those of you listening to this, if you ever consider this, or if you, you, I, I recommend that you do, I do go back to that open stance a little bit, but at the end of the day, all of it is just grounded in Hogan's five lessons. Now, one of the other elements, of course, is the upper body that we have to talk about. And in Hogan's case, he teaches or he recommends that the golfer should keep his forearms, his or her forearms, closely together at address. So if you were to picture, there's two ways that you can hold a golf club and position your arms. One of which is your elbows are a little bit closer to the sides of your your torso. Hogan recommends that you actually bring those arms away from your body a little bit so that the elbows have are a little bit closer they're almost on the inside of your your body line if that makes sense. And that's something that admittedly I've not done. I've not incorporated that element into my game too much and I sometimes wonder if I should. One of the benefits of possibly doing that that I have seen in my game, especially with shorter clubs like wedges and whatnot, I have a tendency to get that hosel out there a little too much, and I will hit a shank every so often. And uh, it usually happens the most with, like I said, my wedges. But if I were to... oh Well, and obviously a shank happens when your hands are getting away from your body. You could watch YouTube videos on that all day long. There's all sorts of great tips out there on how to fix a shank. But... In my mind, it's almost like if I position my arms out out there already at a dress, the only place that they can really go, they can't go out any further. So that essentially eliminates that bad shot. But if anything, they're going to come closer to my body, in which case I hit the toe, and that's not the worst thing in the world, but it's def- it could definitely lead to more trouble. The whole point there is understanding how to set up your body to succeed right away and I think that's the main point that Hogan tries to uh, to put out to the world in his book so those two elements there are many more that Hogan describes about stance and posture in five lessons but those two elements are the things that really stick in my mind the most and I continuously try to work on them whenever I go out to the range or even during a round though the fact of positioning my feet in the quote-unquote proper way, and then where are my arms? And even recording this now, I realize that upper body tip that Hogan uh, offers to everybody is something I need to continue to work on, even for my game. It's uh, something that's gotten away from me, and I should probably uh, revisit that. looks like I'm going to the driving range tomorrow. Now, one of the final things I'll say about the posture section, or stance and posture, uh, in Hogan's book is I kind of wish that he spent a little bit more time on head position. He goes into some detail regarding having a, uh, head bent comfortably is the way that he puts it. But I had a golf lesson, uh, about three years ago, I want to say, um, with a good pro over at, at Coghill. And one of the things that he, he didn't change much about my swing. I had a pretty decent swing. I have a pretty decent swing. Um, but I just wasn't catching the ball consistently. You know, I was hitting a lot of thin shots. And the first thing he had me do was actually choke down just a, just a fraction on each of my clubs, which you would think, why do that if you're hitting the ball thin? But then the other thing he had me do after looking face on at me when I was at a dress was he actually had my my head, he made me move my head kind of to cock it over my right shoulder a little bit. So if you picture, you're probably doing this in your car or wherever you're listening to this right now, I mean, if you just kind of bring your right ear down to your right shoulder a little, just a little bit, what he told me was that better aligns basically my spine angle. And it was a little odd, I'll have to admit, but lo and behold, after I did that, those two things, I choked down a little bit and did that little head tilt, I, I was pure in it. And you know as any good teacher in my opinion does they they kind of tell you what to do to try it first and then they explain why they believe it works and in my case it did and i still it's still something i do even to today the the choking down of the grip similar to how i just described with the elbows not getting too far away from my body um golf is a game of opposites and so the rationale was If I made my golf club shorter, then my body wouldn't, in an attempt to make contact with the golf ball, my body wouldn't react in an adverse way where I was essentially picking the club up off the ground just before impact, hence a thin shot. So it's almost like I need to get my arms longer and in order to still make clean contact with the golf ball, I had to adjust something with the length of the club without actually changing the length of the club, if that makes sense. Um, and then, of course, the head tilt, he had mentioned, you know, it's a matter of just being right-eye dominant. And when I heard that, I think of, like, Jack Nicklaus's little head turn before he brought the club the club back. And there are other players that, you know, I almost look now on TV to see what are their little triggers that they do to help kind of say go, right? Like now it's go time, whether it be a forward press, whether it be a head tilt, whether it be a head turn, anything at all. What is that movement that signifies, okay, now it's go time. And that gets back to what I said earlier about how if you're so set in a certain way that you think a golf club should be swung and it does not allow for anything else extra in it like what I'm describing a little trigger anything at all I encourage you maybe to change your mind on that because in my case at least these little things these little cues that you can leave yourself they might be significant enough to really help you improve your game give it a try all right, so we've made our way through two lesson, two of the five lessons within Hogan's uh, five lessons. I'll revisit lessons three, four, and five in future episodes. Probably sprinkle in a little interview here and there. Maybe even do another equipment review. I know you guys like a little bit of uh, different topics, um, and I try to deliver that for you. Let me know what you think about these episodes. I know they're a little bit different. I know it's probably best for... Uh, A visual medium as opposed to a podcast, but if you enjoy hearing my thoughts, or perhaps even to bring on a guest to get their thoughts on the golf swing, I'd I'd love to do it. And truth be told, John Sherman, who I had on a few weeks ago, um, talk about his new book. This really got me. That got me thinking. You know, maybe maybe we just go into a few series about the golf swing itself, and just talk about. It's almost kind of like a book club. I know how corny that sounds, but really, there's so many things out there and so many great pieces of literature that you can read to really improve your game. And I've read through a lot of them, but there's also a lot of junk out there. I mean, let's be honest. There's some stuff out there that could really screw up your golf game, and that's why it's it's a, so important to go back to the things that are proven to work, uh, the classics like Ben Hogan's Five Lessons. So let me know. Hit me up on email, adam at com, And then you can also, of course, find me on social media. The last things I'll talk about here in this episode, you know, to go back to, um, uh, this ongoing evolution in pro golf, um, you know, my, last week we had an episode talking about why I believe live golf was going to succeed. I still think that's the case. Um, now that all the majors are gone or finished rather, um, this year i imagine that we're going to see a lot more players make the jump. you know, i've already as i mentioned, i've already heard that cam smith is probably going. uh hideki is another name that we've heard of course, and then if you remember the the hype video that live golf put out at the beginning, bubba watson was uh shown in that video. he hasn't played yet. he hasn't announced anything, but he was at least in that montage. and i believe that there are many others who are considering this jump. and so Nothing changes um, with how people feel about, you know, the source of the money and, and so on and so forth, but I think it's evident, well, I don't think, I know it's evident that this is going to be a divided sport to watch moving forward, and I truly don't believe that all of the majors are going to ban players. Um, at some point, as we talked about last week, the strength of the field will be impacted at the majors, and then you have to ask the question: Well, is it really the best golf? Are they really the best golfers playing? You know, in this this major, I do believe that Augusta National is going to do something soon. Um, I, I would not put it past them to ban uh, past champions. I've heard rumblings of different conversations taking place, and. The fact of the matter is this: there are a lot of rumors out there, and nobody knows—certainly not anonymous Twitter accounts. Um, nobody knows what's going to happen in any of these elements, and nobody's reporting anything because, of course, these texts that get sent from people in the know to people who, you know, either work for an outlet or a blog or a, or whatever—they're not going to say anything. So it's 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 this big. This big thing where names are being thrown all over the place, and there have been some doozies. Let me tell you, it goes it beyond, it extends beyond Charles Barkley in the in the uh, TV analyst booth. Let me just put it to that put it to you that way. And of course, as we learn more, as more names get announced, I'll do my best to kind of keep up with everything. I've realized this is this is kind of like the ongoing joke in my mind where I said I wasn't going to talk about live golf anymore, but I've realized that it's very important to talk about because of so so much is impacted by the pro game, whether it be sponsorships, whether it be the products that are available for us to enjoy, whether it be the apparel that we like to, to, to wear and all the way down just to the game itself is really impacted by the pro tours. So that's a changing landscape. I'll continue to comment on it as uh, as things come up. And, of course, as always, you can find me on social, and I'm never shy to share my opinion on social. So, at Golf Unfiltered, um, most frequently on Twitter. You know where to find me. And, once again, Adam at GolfUnfiltered.com is the email address. Let me know what you think about these episodes. I will do more on Ben Hogan. I'll finish out the five. If there's another book that you'd like me to talk about, I'd love to do that too. In the meantime, as I say all the time, Take care of one another, be nice to one another, and hit them straight.